taking the discussion from 0 to 100 in seconds. Radio 111 presents Southern California's talk about cars and trucks. It's all revved up with Todd Bianco. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I always like to start with news, and we'll start with Toyota. Uh, Toyota, uh, which I think is one of the uh, biggest car companies in the world that is likely to go bankrupt if they don't do something very, very quickly, uh, is uh, decided that it's going to um, invest a paltry $3.4 billion uh, in U.S.-built batteries through 2030. That's a long time. That's nine years. Uh, It's part of a $13.5 billion global battery investment uh, that Toyota announced back in September Uh, That included a push for reducing battery costs by 50% and improving efficiency by 30% over the current EV tech. Of that, Toyota plans to spend $1.29 billion by 2031, which is far too late, to build factories that will create a measly 1,750 jobs. Uh, Included uh, in our battery plant and together with Toyota Atusho, uh, an affiliate supplier will, uh, with aims for the venture to start production in 2025. Also far too late. According to Toyota, this investment will help usher in more affordable electrified vehicles for U.S. customers, significantly reduce carbon emissions, and importantly, create even more American jobs tied to the future of mobility. That's a lot of PR spin, to be sure. Uh, Toyota plans uh, says it plans... Uh, 15 additional battery electric models, including seven different Toyota BZ models. That's B as in boy, Z as in zebra. And you know what those stupid things stand for? That stands for beyond zero. And make sure that's a small b and a capital Z, uh, which is going to share with Subaru and is due to go on sale uh, at the end of this year. I haven't seen it yet. I expect to see it at the LA Auto Show. Uh, But uh, it's... Not a lot, you know, they already said it's going to be very expensive, but that's nice. So you're already scaring customers away, but we haven't, we haven't seen it. I think that uh, the the Subaru version will be probably more affordable, even though they're identical. Uh, So we'll see what's going to happen. But uh, Toyota can't wait till 2030 to electrify. They need to start doing it now. And I'll explain a little bit more of that when I uh, have a rant about uh, what's going to happen to our markets soon. Uh, Stellantis, which is the parent of Dodge, Jeep, Ram, and Chrysler, announced this week that it's uh, partnering with battery maker uh, LG Energy Solutions to produce lithium-ion battery cells and modules in in a North American plant. The location was not announced, but the target construction date uh, is start date is Q2 of 2022, with deliveries of batteries by Q1 of 2024. That's before Toyota. Uh, the, the batteries will be used in hybrid and electric vehicles built in North America, with the first likely pr- product, an electric Ram 1500 pickup truck. The same platform for the Ram can be used for an all-electric Jeep and an all-electric Dodge muscle cars. Uh, so Stellantis has previously stated that it intends to have 40% of its U.S. sales come from EVs by 2030, that's higher than Toyota, and has earmarked a total of $35 billion, lots more than Toyota, towards meeting the, that goal. 40% is still a low number, so they better hurry up. 
And then the same day it came out was a conflicting report that Stellantis and South Korean battery maker Samsung SDI, which of course is a competitor to LG Energy Solutions, have agreed to jointly produce electric vehicle batteries in North America. The report was an anonymous source, according to Reuters. Samsung SDI and Stellantis did not immediately have uh, comment, uh, except yesterday, uh, Stellantis confirmed a second battery joint venture with Samsung SDI. So they're not doing one, they're doing two. Uh, the first one with LG Energy Solution and the other one with Samsung SDI. Uh, so th they're planning ahead. Uh, they need as many batteries as possible uh, to put in big, heavy pickup trucks and SUVs. They didn't say where the plant would be either for this one, but uh, initial capacity is said to be 23 gigawatt hours uh, with the ability to increase to 40 gigawatt hours in the future. Launch of production is targeted for 2025, which is one year after the LG plant. So uh, they're trying to plan ahead. And that's, uh, I don't think it would have happened if, uh, if uh, the, the merger between FCA, which was Fiat Chrysler, and PSA, which is Peugeot Citroen, uh, if that hadn't happened to create Stellantis, uh, because they're being run by the guy who ran PSA, uh, Carlos Travers. Uh, he's a, a smart guy who knows what he's doing, uh, but he's got a lot to manage because there's so many different brands under one umbrella now. Uh, but I know that uh, since he's based in Paris, that... Uh, uh, they're much more acutely aware of, of where things are going because Europe is electrifying very quickly and uh, the United States is going to going to get there pretty quickly and we'll, we'll talk about what's happening with Tesla and other makers that are coming. Uh, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Well, well here's one more, one more let's be afraid story. Uh, last week, we, we learned that Foxconn, which is the Taiwanese maker of the iPhone, plans to buy a Lordstown Motors plant in Lordstown, Ohio, with plans on helping Lordstown Motors build its, build its endurance electric pickup truck and possibly building an affordable electric crossover designed by Fisker. The Fisker vehicle is said to be based on a Foxconn EV platform. Well, Foxconn dropped, dropped the hammer this week by introducing three electric vehicles uh, under the new Foxtron uh, brand, uh, the Model C crossover, the Model E sedan, and the Model T bus. All three are in prototype stages, and there's no way Foxconn can ever use those names as Ford would sue them, you know, to, you know, the until eternity uh, for either the Model C, the Model E, or Model T. Uh, so Foxtron was formed just a year ago as a joint venture between Foxconn and Yulong Motor Group, an, uh, another uh, Taiwanese automaker, which has done a contract work for Jeep, Mercedes-Benz, and Nissan. Uh, the Model C and Model E are based on Foxconn's own modular EV platform, which they unveiled a year ago. The Model C is a small crossover with a 5-plus-2 seating and enough torque for 0 to 100 kph in 3.8 seconds. And the Model E, whose design was penned by Pinaferina, uh, is a mid-sized sedan with an outage of 750 horsepower or enough for 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Both vehicles are claimed to have a range of more than 400 miles. Yeah. However, it's not likely that Foxconn's going to make these cars. These were, show, these were built as proof of concept that, look, you can build on our platform. So that's the Taiwanese and uh, most of the battery makers are either South Korean or Chinese. None of them are in the United States except Tesla. 
and the Chinese are coming for the United States market. And they're not coming with ICE vehicles, they're coming with EVs. And here's the thing, if you remember, if you're, if you're old enough to remember what happened with when the Japanese automakers came and the uh, big three, GM, Ford, and Chrysler just laughed at it, well, who has the last laugh? I can tell you that it's Toyota, Honda, and Nissan, uh, and Subaru, of course, and, and there's a few other little ones in there, but they had the last, last laugh because they came in with uh, really well-made econo ec economic cars with nice features and that were fun to drive, and they just took huge shares of the market from the U.S. automakers, okay? Remember that one when that happened? Well, that's still going on. I mean, there's still... These are still companies that dominate the markets uh, in the United States along with the uh, U.S. producers. And then remember the 1990s when Hyundai came to, to town and when Kia came to town? They were crap boxes. I mean, they were a joke. I mean, it was a punchline of jokes about how bad these things were. And they were. They were you know, pretty awful little tin boxes. Well, no one's laughing anymore. The Koreans learned very, very, very quickly. And each new generation of, like, say, the Sonata, it got as good, it was just as almost as good as an Accord, then it got as good as an Accord, or as good as a Camry. And suddenly, they are desirable products that are beautifully designed, that have lots of good features on them, that uh, uh, many of the models are very hard to keep in stock, like the Kia Telluride or the Hyundai Palisade, these cars are in high demand and they're highly desirable and they're considered as reliable and uh, as good as the Japanese cars. Well, that's the end of the Ice Age, guys. So, the you know, that the Ice Age is over. The Germans have stopped developing their V8s now. Uh, they're not going to develop, uh, Audi's already said they're not going to develop any new engines. They'll do, they'll improve the existing engines that they have now uh, for the sale for the next 10 years or so, uh, but they're not going to be banking any new engines, and neither is Volkswagen. So those are the big, those are the big boys, and they're saying that they're going to, you know, target EVs only. The Chinese are making crap boxes. That's what they were making. They were making terrible copies of Western designs. That's not happening anymore. The Chinese are pumping out some amazingly good uh, EVs. Xpeng uh, has some terrific models out right now. Uh, and Neo has some really great stuff. There's a bunch of Chinese car makers that are just EV makers. They never have the burden of having the legacy auto uh, costs of, the, of, of having ICE engines. They can come here. They are, they are now as good as anything else that you can buy in the market because they've been improving. We don't see them here because they're not sold here. But year after year after year after year, the Chinese have gotten better at it. And they're good at copying and they own most of the battery output of the, you know, they own something like 70% of the battery output for EVs. And the rest is the Koreans or, or, or Tesla. Uh, and Tesla was done in, in you know, in, in, uh, in joint venture with Panasonic, and that's a Japanese company, of course. Uh, you know, so there's, it's the, the Asians are dominating here, and when the Chinese come to the United States, they're going to have really desirable products, and they are coming, at lower prices 
and they're going to be well made. They're not going to come with the crap boxes on the first time, you know, the first pass. And what's going to happen is they're going to offer, you know, pretty desirable products uh, with good ranges, with lots and lots of features that are beautifully designed and well made, and people are going to buy them. It's going to start happening. Oh, I'll never buy Chinese. Well, everything you buy at Walmart is Chinese right now. Everything you buy at Target is, is you know, Chinese or, or made, you know, in some other country. So you'll be surprised how fast the Chinese could take this. And I just think we need to be very careful about how we look at what's going on and realize that, you know, there's a race here that's going on and it's going to be determined within the next 10 years who's going to be winners in this race. And companies like Toyota who are just sort of ignoring it with putting very little resources in when they have the money, Toyota could do a lot of, they have the ton of money to do it. They could do all sorts of things. They need to get on the ball now and these investments that they've announced are too small. All right, that's my rant for the first uh, first part of the show. Uh, we'll have some more news, and we'll talk about some crossovers to avoid buying when we get back. This is Todd Bianco. You're listening to iHub. I mean, uh, to <laughs> Radio 111. This is all revved up. We'll be right back. Radio 111 is talking all things automotive on All Revved Up with Todd Bianco. Welcome back. Before the break, I was ranting about the Chinese automakers and they're coming for us here, and I think they are. And just as an example here, uh, you've got, there's a new car brand that you've never heard of called Zeker, Z-E-E-K-R. It's owned by Geely, who's Geely. They're a gigantic uh, Chinese car company that happens to own Volvo, Polestar, Lincoln Company, Geely Motors, and a few other brands. Uh, so Zeker is their new premium EV brand. So it's brand new, only EVs, no ICE cars at all. Uh, and it's going to start production of its first model, the 001, which is an electric hatchback. Uh, deliveries will start later this month. It's the first of multiple vehicles destined to ride on Geely's sustainable enterprise our experience, sustainable experience architecture SEA modular platform and why do you care about that because they're going to be using it for other cars that are going to be sold here so I uh, you know it's going to be used for something from Volvo or Polestar and it's going to be used for uh, the new smart models that are going to be sold that are EV only uh, Geely's in a joint venture with Daimler which used to be the sole owner of smart and they dumped smart over to Geely and said here make us a car that we can like and the Germans are doing some of the engineering and the, the Chinese are going to be building it for them and it will be sold outside China as well uh, you know because you know the smart brand 
So the Zeeger 001 will feature a 100 kilowatt hour battery, that's a very large battery, and a dual motor powertrain rated at 536 horsepower and 566 pound-feet of torque. Geely claims a 0 to 62 uh, acceleration of 3.8 seconds and charging from 10% to 80% in under 30 minutes. The 001 also features electric driver assist features, electronic driver's assist features uh, grouped in a suite known as Zeeker Assisted Drive. Uh, via over-the-air updates, more advanced driver assist features will be added, added to Zeeker vehicles over time, just like what Tesla is doing. Sounds familiar, huh? The brand will launch six new models over the next three years with a target, remember this is zero, of annual sales of $650,000 by 2025. So in four years, they're going to go from zero to 650,000 units. Uh, right now, the brand is going to be limited to China, but it's already said it's going to probably expand this to Europe and, quote, other markets. Yeah, the U.S. is on the short list there. And then there's another Geely brand that you've never heard of called Link & Co. L-Y-N-K and Co. C-O. Now, if they ever tried to bring that brand to the United States, uh, Ford would sue the hell out of them because it sounds just a tad too much like Lincoln. But... It's been, you know, they've been, they've had this brand for quite a while. It actually has been selling ice cars and now they're selling uh, EVs as well. But it's aiming to lift its annual sales to 1 million units. This is not sold here, but they're already going to be near 1 million units over the near, over the next two years. They're targeting markets in Asia and the Middle East. Uh, that's a big target, but Geely is probably going to do it because they, they have the, the money to do it and they have the, uh, uh, the, the strength to uh, put the brand out there in other markets. Again, it's the Chinese are, are, are coming, I hate to say it, but you know, we, we may be oblivious to it here, but we're already buying cars that are made in China. There's a Buick Envision that's made in China. The Polestar, there's a couple of Volvos and Polestar vehicles that we're buying right now that are made in China. Nobody seems to care. They buy them anyway. There is good, you know, you look at them and they're good enough and, you know, they're, they're, you like the quality, you buy it. You don't really think now where, you know, where it's actually done. And all, all, a lot of the parts are globally sourced anyway, but uh, it's uh, even, if you, even if you buy a Bosch part that's, a, you know, a German company, oftentimes it's made in China. You know, that's just how these things are, are going these days. Well, Okay, uh, in, enough for the Chinese for the moment. Uh, Land Rover has revealed a redesigned Range Rover, and they're going to do it at the end of this month, but it's already been seen. There's been pictures of it in Autocar. Uh, there's been uh, you know spy shots around, but it's the fifth-generation Range Rover. Uh, dealers are already accepting orders for it. Uh, it should begin delivery uh, in early next year, I guess sometime, uh, as a 2023 model. So it'll be delivered in the first quarter of 2020, 2022 as a 2023 model. It looks quite slick. I mean, it's definitely a Range Rover. You're not going to be able to miss it. But it's built on Land Rover's uh, new architecture called the MLA, which is Modular Longitudinal Architecture Platform. And all that means is that the engine's a north-south instead of an east-west engine. Um, <clears throat> And it's, uh, the, the, it's a very lightweight platform that's exclusive to Land Rover, and it's capable of spawning, guess what, electric vehicles. There will be an electric Range Rover. Not, not this year, not next year, but 
two or three years, it's going to there's we'll have electric Range Rovers running around, and you know that they're going to start buying them in California and other markets. And I think that um, this is going to be a right, really nice looking Range Rover, and it's going to be very desirable uh, when somebody sticks a battery in it and realizes that it performs better both on road and off road than uh, an internal combustion engine Range Rover. So it's coming, people. Uh, the Ice Age is coming to an end, and most other manufacturers realize that. All right, when we come back, we'll t- let's talk about some crossovers to avoid. And we'll also talk about Motor Trends SUV of the Year. This is Todd Bianco. You're listening to Radio 111, and we'll be right back. Up continues with Todd Bianco, your Radio 111 Auto Aficionado. Here's Todd. Welcome back. Uh, this week, uh, Motor Trend came out with its coveted SUV of the Year award, and this year it's going to the 2022 Genesis GV70, and that would be their compact size. So uh, there's three sizes. There's the G. There's the there's a 70, 80, and 90. And the 70 is like a, a three series. Uh, there you can, there's a sedan right now. And a few years ago, it was awarded car of the year uh, when the, uh, the, the, the G70 came out. Now the GV, the V designates it as an SUV. The GV70 is the first uh, generation of the uh, SUV version of this car. And they, they named it uh, 2022 Motor Trend SUV of the Year. It's the best Genesis vehicle ever. And it puts luxury, the entire luxury segment on notice. That's what they say. <laughs> Nothing beats the moment of discovery. Think about the exhilarating, exhilarating rush of hearing what's now your favorite musical artist for the first time or dining at a new restaurant that becomes your standby. It's the precise moment you realize you found something you didn't know you wanted, but now you can't live without. In the automotive world, the Genesis GV70 is such a discovery. And that's why it's the 2022 Motor Trend SUV of the Year. Okay, with more than a dozen choices, compact luxury SUV buyers might see uh, another uh, you know, option as sur- superfluous, uh, but they'll reconsider after experiencing the GV70. Uh, the Genesis astounds in the way it achieves all-around excellence, sharing much with the former car of the year, the G70 sedan. The GV70 aces our six key criteria uh, of performance that led to a definitive win. Okay, let's remember that Genesis is a new car brand, and it's owned by Hyundai Kia. Okay, they're, they're, that's the Korean people you used to think made the Hyundai SL, which is a piece of junk. They're now making luxury cars that are as good as the Japanese or Germans. 
what does that tell you? That tells you they learn really quickly and they're really good at it. So they say that, you know, if it's advanced designs, they think it's beautiful, you know, in, in person and in photographs. Uh, it looks unconventional and fresh. Exterior design manages to deliver a, a distinctive and rich impression when taken as a whole or in detail. Passerbys may not know that it, what a Genesis is yet, but when a GV70 rolls through their field of vision, they'll know this one is something special. So even though the luxury market may be saturated with, uh, you know, very aesthetic choices. I mean, you know, you can go through the German versions, Porsche, BMW, Mercedes. Uh, then you go to the, you know, the Lexus and the Acura and the Infiniti, all these various luxury brands. And they each have their own distinctive look now. And that's what they're done. For. That's what, that's why they're doing it. There's, you know, they want to stand out in the crowd. But the Genesis, and if you've seen them, they are quite distinctive and they do look very, very nice. Uh, so they, they so they like they love the, the advancement in design, uh, engineering excellence. Its chassis is eager to play once the tarmac starts to bend. Uh, let's see what else do they have to say. Uh, they they were more emphatic uh, on how our entire judges roster felt that the GV70 3.5 liter uh, turbo engine uh, at the proving ground and on the test track and on public roads is the holy SHIT this thing is awesome uh, they all loved it so there was you know you can, the base engine on this car is a 2.5 liter tw turbo engine 4 cylinder and then there's the 3.5 liter uh, turbo engine uh, that that's the uh, the upgraded on the model. They all have standard all-wheel drive and eight-speed automatic transmission. Uh, so there's the 3.5 liter V6 delivers 375 horsepower and 391 pound-feet of torque, which is pretty damn good. And the 2.5 liter four does pretty good itself with 300 horsepower and 311 pound-feet of torque. Um, performance of intended function they think it does uh, very it, you know it works perfectly as an suv um, it might come to surprise how well it aces the practicality portion of their curriculum it has more rear seat than space than a number of competitors thanks to the front seat backs that are carved out for more knee room uh, the person sitting in the right rear may discover a feature they wish their SUV had. Two buttons on the side of the uh, front um, backrest they can use to adjust its recline angle and motor the, the whole seat forward and back. That's kind of nice. Um, move to the cargo area to find latches that hold down the second row when you... Uh, that fold down the second row when you tip the, the box, uh, you know, and you need more sh room. Uh, it's very easy to do. Leave these seats in place and the cargo comes to almost 30 cubic feet, uh, more than every vehicle in the segment. So it does that and value. They say it comes with, you know, great value. The, uh, every GV70 down to the base, which is $42,000, has all-wheel drive, adaptive cruise control, lane centering, blind spot monitoring, 14.5-inch screen. Uh, some offer remote, remote parking you know, assist. Um, and you know it has a great uh, warranty. It's uh, five years or sixty thousand miles basic basic warranty on every model. Uh, complimentary maintenance up to thirty six thousand miles. 
uh, and they even make it better because for the first three years or 36,000 miles, they get you get free valet service where they come to the dealership comes to you, picks the car up, and then um, returns it when they're done with service. That which is very nice to have done, so you don't even have to go to the dealership. But uh, yeah, it's so it's a uh, it, it's uh, they think it has a cost advantage of a good ten to twenty thousand dollars over the competitors uh, when it's stacked up against all the various uh, models that you look at. Uh, you know, even things like Volvo, the XC60 T5, or the Alfa Romeo Stilvio all-wheel drive. Uh, its economy is uh, one mile per gallon fewer than that of the uh, 2022 uh, 20, uh, Audi Q5 and one mile per gallon more than both the BMW and Mercedes. So it's right on par with all the others as far as that. Uh, it does not go as far as the Lexus hybrid models, uh, but give it time, there's going to be an electric version of this. Uh, G- Genesis is already working on electric SUVs right now, and they've shown one already, and it's stunning. So things are happening very quickly. They're already starting on their uh, electric SUVs. Safety, it's given it you know, top marks on safety. It's a top safety pick plus from the IIHS. Uh, it has all the advanced safety features you could want. Most of them are standard, and then you know packages can get you even more. Uh, you know, hill, hill start assist, high beam assist, uh, safe exit assist. You know, it goes on and on and on. So yeah, they think it's the best one out there. Uh, the best uh, SUV for the price that's uh, a compact SUV. So that's something to think about when you're out there looking at that. The Genesis is uh, uh, is really, really pushing the envelope for making it uh, a really great luxury brand. Remember when Lexus did that? Remember when Infiniti did that? People laughed at them. They're not laughing anymore. You know, the Germans laughed when that came out. They, you know, nobody would buy that. And now they have a huge share of the luxury car market. Um, you know, Acura was the first Japanese car company that did that, which Honda did that with Acura, and then Lexus uh, from Toyota and uh, Infiniti from Nissan. And again, nobody's laughing anymore at these cars. And Mazda's going up market as well now. Uh, they're trying that with their new SUVs that they're going to go up market with. I just think that, that this is something that you really need to think about. Uh, when you're looking at cars, I think you'll be pleased with this car. I've seen it. It is it is gorgeous. I have not driven it, but uh, from all the looks of it, it looks like a really nice car. Now, a couple of days ago, Consumer Reports came out with popular mid-size SUVs to avoid and what to buy instead. <laughs> I always think it's funny when they do these because you know they, they go through their 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 studies of. Uh, you know, the people, how are they reported there's problems with their cars and all these kinds of things. And even though there's popular uh, things like, for example, uh, popular uh, two-row SUVs to avoid, top of the list is the 2021 Chevrolet Blazer. <laughs> Skip it. <laughs> it's focused more on styling and luxury and less on utility. In addition, its below-average predicted reliability hurts its overall scar- scores. All-wheel drive gets a 305-horsepower V6 that returns an unimpressive 19 miles per gallon overall. Uh, handles and controls well enough, but the low dash fence direct air uh, to the occupant's elbows, not to their face. Uh, <laughs> and you have to buy a, a more expensive one to get the uh, safety features like forward collision warning and automatic emergency braking. And so they say like the better choice for the, something like this would be the um, 
let's see, Ford Edge. They like that, that, that a lot, and they like Ford's Copilot 360 system. Ford closing warning and automatic and emergency braking, as well as blind spot warnings are standard. Yeah, so Ford Edge, there you go. It gets higher miles per gallon and everything else. Uh, and then under the radar, there's try the 2021 Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe. Again, another Korean brand there. Uh, received a more powerful engine, new controls. There's a hybrid version of it, which is you know the best powertrain of the bunch. Combines a small turbo four with, with an electric motor for a combined 225 horsepower. Mated to a six-speed automatic. It's both quiet and powerful. and returns 30 miles per gallon overall. So there you go. There's a couple of uh, uh, ones that you might not think about, but they're popular. By the way, the, the, the hybrid version of the Santa Fe is hard to get now. Uh, there, there's a hybrid version uh, similar to that for the Kia brand, and that one's hard to get as well. Uh, so in, uh, how about a, a larger one, midsize? They talk about the one that's very popular, the Ford Explorer. Skip it. They say, in our test, the four-cylinder turbocharged engine and 10-speed automatic, that fuel economy wasn't any better than the V6-powered competitors, and the transmission had rough shifts. And they were complaining about some of the uh, the safety features that were not standard. And what to get instead? They say, how about uh, the Kia three-row midsize SUV uh, is the uh, probably better choice than that. And the Kia would be the Kia Palisade, I mean, the Kia Telluride much much more popular and it's very you know people love that car and all the sorts every all the all the safety equipment is standard on that as well and then under the under the radar there's the mazda cx9 which is real, uh, actually quite beautiful it does not nearly sell as well but it's got three rows as well and is quite a popular um uh, car once you once you've had it you you know how good mazda is they've done an amazing job of really putting luxury into a car that's considered a mainstream brand so I think that Mazda's done a really good job of that. Uh, and you don't see as many of them, and you really should see more of them. That they, you know, it's got good mileage, good fuel economy. It's a turbo four-cylinder engine is smooth. It has a six-speed automatic that shifts well. Uh, they go on about it. And, you know, the infotainment system takes time to master, but once you do, it's easy enough to use. And it has all of the standard safety features, and it's compatible with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. So there's a lot of good things to say about these alternatives. And I say, so maybe skip some of these more popular ones that you see and that everyone's driving around. There are better alternatives out there. Uh, you're listening to Radio 111. This is Todd Bianco, and we will be right back. From the Radio 111 showroom, Todd Bianco is talking automotive industry news and insight. All Revved Up continues. Here's Todd. Welcome back. 
Ford has got something for you that's going to be very impressive, and I think it's going to be a huge seller if you can get your hands on one. I've talked about the new Ford Maverick, which is their uh, answer to, it's a pickup truck, it's a little pickup truck, it's uh, designed to essentially take the place of all the sedans and uh, and smaller cars that they've killed. Uh, they've uh, It got rated by the EPA, and it's EPA rated at 42 miles per gallon. 33 on the highway, uh, 42 in the city, and it's a 37 combined, but that is an astounding number for a pickup truck. Uh, that's the, it's a hybrid version. It's, by the way, the, hand, the hybrid is the standard entry-level version. So that's the one, if you want the cheap one, that's the one you got. It's front-wheel drive only. You can get some options on it, obviously, but I mean, the the hybrid is front-wheel drive only. If you want all-wheel drive right now, you'd have to get just the gas engine. But that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good number. With it has a it has a smallish tank. It's got 13.8 gallons, which is not a large tank, but that still gives it a range of more than 500 miles on the highway. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, the Maverick uses a 6.2 a 600. 162 horsepower, 2.5 liter inline six, and a 94 kilowatt hour, um, a 94 kilowatt uh, electric motor as part of Ford's planetary hybrid gear system, making a combined 191 horsepower. Um, deliveries are expected to start in January. The non-hybrid Maverick checks in the EPA with 23 miles per gallon, 30 highway, 26 combined, uh, front-wheel drive or uh, with the front-wheel drive model or 25 miles combined with the uh, all-wheel drive model, which is pretty good. It's okay, not great, but the Ford F-150 Hybrid uh, is actually much better. Even um, It's bigger and heavier, and it clocks in at 25 miles per gallon. But uh, uh, the, the Maverick is going to be very popular. I don't think Ford's going to be able to make them fast enough. I think people are going to just say, that's my lifestyle vehicle. It's... You know, like a car, it gets great fuel economy. It has a pickup bed for when I need it. it. Has four doors to shovel the kids in and out, or whatever you need, or the dogs. And I think it's going to be pretty. Again, it looks like a truck. They styled it like a truck. Uh, it's you know based on the same uh, hybrid as the, as the Escape hybrid, and so I mean you know they're using you know similar parts, but. It's going to be very popular. I, my guess is, is that the Ford Ford dealers are right now taking orders. Now, if they don't screw this up, Ford dealers are screwing up the Mustang Mach-E right now. They're asking sometimes ten to $20,000 over sticker for the Mustang Mach-E, and that is pissing Ford off, but they can't, they can't tell the dealer what to do. You know, the dealer has all the discretion as to what they do, but it's making people sort of back off from buying a Mustang Mach-E. So assuming they don't look at the Maverick and say, well, that's, you know, that's $21,000. It should be 25000 and start charging you more for it. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's going to be a very popular, very high volume car for Ford. Uh, the, so it's, it's in production now, but de- deliveries start in January. Uh, I think it will do very, very, very well. Uh, it's a good. It's a good thing that Ford did that, and uh, you know it makes up for some of the stuff that they that they trashed. Uh, now, during the third quarter earnings call for Tesla, they said that um, they made it clear that it's time to accelerate the build out of its supercharger network so as to accommodate its rapidly expanding fleet of Tesla vehicles. 
the Department of Energy Alternative Fuels Data Center, which I didn't even know existed, but Department of Energy Alternative Fuels Data Center estimates that Tesla currently has 1,165 stations located in the United States and actual ports, so that, that's actual just locations, and total number of plug-in ports is 11,593. Tesla has doubled the size of its supercharger network in the last 18 months, and it plans to triple it over the next two years to address local congestion in the short term. So it's deploying mobile superchargers, aiming to introduce price, and it's going to introduce pricing strategies that encourage more off-peak usage. In other words, if you charge like at you know six in the after, six in the evening or you know midday or something, you're going to get charged more than if you were to you know be there at 10 p.m. or or at 6 a.m. So it's they're going to do that. And I noticed it myself when I went. Uh, one time I was charging at the supercharger and in, uh, near the uh, casino, Morongo Casino, uh, and it's cheaper than the one that's near the In-N-Out Burger, which is uh, just a little bit further down the road in Banning. So maybe it's the In-N-Out or I don't know what, but I, I noticed that the rates were cheaper at that one. So it just depends on which one you're at and the, you know, the, the, how many cars are there. Usually when I'm at the one in, in, uh, in Morongo, there's only a couple of other cars there because it's usually early in the morning. But when I was at the one near the In-N-Out Burger in uh, Banning, it was uh, much busier. So I think that that's where some of the dynamic pricing comes from. But I think that that's going to, you know, it's going to be a big deal because Tesla's can't sell. They have too many orders right now, and they can't build them fast enough. And they're going as fast as they can. But there's huge, huge, huge demand for their electric cars, and I think we're going to see it for all the other electric cars that are in the market too. So it's not just going to be for Tesla. And then we need more build out of charging infrastructure. Uh, next hour is bring a trailer, which is always the fun we have with John McMullen, and we're going to be talking about our picks from last week and the new ones from this week. This is Todd Bianco, Radio 111, and we'll be right back. Taking the discussion from zero to 100 in seconds. Radio 111 presents Southern California's talk about cars and trucks. It's all revved up with Todd Bianco. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm here with John McMullen. Hello, John. Hi. And you realize a- that this is the first time in almost a year or more that we've actually done a show where we're in the same room at the same time. You're right, it is. I mean, I, it's like, wow, I'm in the studio and everything, yeah. <laughs> which is great. I mean, I'm enjoying being here. It's actually a lovely day in the desert, too. It can't hurt, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, welcome to Bring a Trailer Hour. Yes, uh, and uh, we've got some great picks, of course, as usual. They always have something very interesting on that website. Uh, it's bringatrailer.com for anybody who hasn't seen it. And I, is it linked on our uh, if you go to our podcast pages uh, a couple of days after the live show, by usually by Monday, uh, the newest podcast has the list. All the podcasts actually have the list uh, with a link to the website of all the vehicles that we feature on 
this program. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's just start in by looking at our auctions from last week. And we'll start with yours. The first one you had was a 2008 Audi RS4. Uh, and it was all sorts of, somebody spends a lot of money on over right. overdoing that car with aftermarket crap, right? Yeah. Well, it, it sold, but it was only for 44750 which is my guess is what they had into the aftermarket parts. <laughs> you know, but it did sell. Yeah. It, so the reserve was met. Yeah. Either that or it was a no reserve. Or it was no reserve. Yeah, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, so it sold for 44750 uh, then we had that really lovely uh, 2012 Bentley Continental GT convertible with the W12 engine with very low mileage, and it sold for $95,000. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty good price, that's I a guess. a good chunk of change. It is, but I mean, considering it was probably 300 new, I mean, you know, I guess it's depreciated a bit over, you know, nine years. Right. So, yeah. But it was in really beautiful condition, and it was a great color, and it had the W12 engine. So, you know, somebody's going to enjoy cruising around in that car. Yep, for sure. Yep. Uh, then you picked a 1971 uh, Chevrolet Chevelle SS convertible. Uh, and it was, uh, I think, more of a tribute car, if I remember correctly. But it was uh, all sorts of uh, nicely redone items on it. And, of course, as a convertible, it was beautiful. It sold for $44,000, which was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good good price. Now, you keep picking these Volkswagen buses. This is a 1967 Volkswagen bus. And I don't and even really like it, Volkswagen. It, 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 I just think that that particular model as we talked about last week has all the windows yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's like being in a rolling terrarium yes yeah and it has the pop-out front window so you can just push somebody out the front window and everything i right. love it how you know it's it's great yeah I mean, who know. wouldn't love that yeah. uh it had been completely redone you know com- everything was basically you know uh, completely redone on the car and paint the engine was all everything was redone uh it was bid to 101,000 and reserve was not met that did not surprise me to see that <laughs> did not sell somebody wanted more money for it so they, they right now the, a lot of those we've seen a few of these they haven't sold you know i think one sold for an astronomical sum and i think everybody thinks they're going to get that i wish that they had to list so that when it went off the market <laughs> i wish that they had to list so that as soon as the auction was over and the reserve was not met, that you could see what the amount was that the was reserve. put on the reserve. Yeah, I, I wish they did too. I mean, you know, during the auction, actually, you know, the, the, the seller can remove the reserve. Yeah. They can just say, I want to remove the reserve, and they can do that. Well, what they should also do is they should have a means to show what the reserve was and then have it so that you can contact the seller after the fact and and buy it at that reserve price usually the high bidder does contact the seller and the high bidder contact each other yeah and see if there's a deal to be made right so but that but that does but happen it takes away the fun of our knowing it right and talking about how you and crazy I, they are right you and i right you and i don't you and i don't know i mean the, yeah. the reserve could have been one hundred and ten thousand. right so they could have been you know just a few thousand, just a few away. thousand away from it, and so they right. could, you know, agree on say one hundred and five thousand, and you know, call it a day. But or it could have been twice that. Yeah, who knows? But uh, we we don't know. Yeah. But uh, I wish we did know. Uh, and then the last one was a nineteen ninety four Dodge Viper with a lot of good provenance and stuff, but it only sold for thirty nine thousand seven fifty. Wow. 
Yeah. People so, just didn't want to pay for the gas. They figured they were <laughs> going to make up for it at the pump. Well, that, that V10 engine, I think, sort of sucks it right on, <laughs> right. Right on down. <laughs> and, you know, I, I keep seeing people posting, like, on Twitter where they're, you know, where they're filling up their car. And it's over $100 to fill it up. Yeah. Yeah, for some of these, you know, bigger trucks and SUVs and stuff where they've got a, you know, a 25 or 30-gallon well, gas places tank. places like San Diego yeah. where the gas is going virtually for, like, five bucks a gallon, you know. Well, it's it's it's, it's Is over. Is it that it, much in LA it, right it, now? It, it depends on where you go, but I've seen some as low as like you know, like four oh five, four oh six, and I've seen some in the mid fives. Ah, wow! Just depending on the, the location, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, you and I were talking earlier today in a break about uh, about the trend towards no negotiation on price of vehicles, right? And uh, it seems to me like you know. We're getting to that place with gas prices where it's just, it's so out of control that it almost doesn't matter anymore. People need to have electric vehicles, period. I I think that's, I think, well, more and more people are looking at these prices and saying, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And this is. I had a city councilman uh, recently uh, tell me from one of the cities here in the valley, uh, tell me that there's no way that we can meet the electrical needs even with all these sticks with propellers on them around here, that we couldn't meet the electrical needs if everybody had an electric vehicle. It's not true. Isn't it? No. Because, first of all, you don't. not everybody's charging at 6, 6 p.m. Right. You know, most of the time they're charging overnight when there's way too much, there's, there's an excess in capacity overnight. So, you know, if... if there's public charge stations, there's home charge stations, there's people who have solar and batteries, and so the whole thing is off the grid. So I think that there's, when you have a, a variety of ways that this, and by the way, it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, this isn't, we're not asking any city, I don't think, is, is being asked to say, okay, tomorrow everybody's going to be charging a car. Yeah. In well, 10 know, years, you might see that, but, but charging infrastructure will ramp up. Everything will ramp up over that time. You know what annoyed me is uh, the other night on, um, on Thursday night, I went downtown Palm Springs, and they had the unveiling of the new or dedication of the new, the new park, park downtown. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we parked in the garage underneath. There's chargers there. There's Tesla chargers. There are Tesla chargers, <laughs> and they're all cordoned off by chain link fencing. And I was like... What the hell is this? I mean, you'd think that they would have those available and ready. I th- they might have done that for that because I was there a couple of weeks ago and they were open. Oh, well, yeah, they they completely blocked huh. off all the stalls uh, that had them. Yeah, because I, I, like I said, I've seen them there and the, the, uh, they were not blocked off when last I looked. So huh. maybe it was for that event. I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's a problem called icing and that's when, you know, uh, big trucks park in those stalls. On purpose. Wow. So that's called you're getting iced. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that. It <laughs> yeah. was But it was you know like the garage had shut them off. Yeah. To people. Uh-huh. So don't do that. Palm no, Springs. Don't do that. That's a bad yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So then here's my picks. I had a 1984 Toyota Cressida, and it sold for only fifty four hundred dollars. I didn't think it was going to sell for a lot, but that's a real bargain for that car. Right. It was very very well kept, and it's going to you know still run for years to come. Uh, so that that's a that's a bargain. Then I had the 1986 Volkswagen Quantum Synchro Wagon. There was a flurry of last minute that bidding. That was one up in Portland, right? Yeah, in Oregon. In somewhere. Oregon, yeah. yeah. There was a flurry of last minute bidding, and it went to fifteen thousand five hundred. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I mean, somebody like bid like three or four thousand at the last minute. Just said, "Here it is." It was one of those boom. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to overbid me now. Give it to me. Well, and they did, and they got it. So yeah, yeah so yeah, but it was. Uh, it was that people were actually wanting that car. I mean, you, you, you're not going to see another one for a while. Right. <laughs> it don't exist. Uh, and then there was the, um, let's see, 1985 Toyota pickup truck, uh, which was a very plain Jane pickup truck. Uh, didn't have ec- extra cab or anything. And it sold for 10250 which more than it was new. Yeah, but... <laughs> You think about getting a pickup truck today, and it was yeah. probably a bargain. Oh, probably. Plus, it got yeah. you know great fuel economy and stuff. Right. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're great little cars to have. Uh, then the uh, Lexus LS four hundred was a nineteen ninety five with very very low mileage, and that sold for only seventeen uh, two fifty. Yeah, this was the uh, <clears throat> another one bargain. that was the. Uh, Cressida modern day. Yeah, the well, the, yeah, the Lexus is yeah. the you know the, the luxury in a car now, right. but that was only seventeen two fifty. That was a great was deal a for deal. somebody. Yeah, yeah, great deal because that car was pretty flawless with very low, very low mileage on it. Yeah, and then I uh, had a uh, what was the last one was a nine it was a nineteen thirty four BMW three nineteen sports cabriolet cabriolet that somebody spent a lot of money re, you know re, resurrecting from the DEAD and I mean yeah. it was dead it was yeah it sold for 103,000 what yeah i remember looking at that thing sitting on the back of a truck being hauled it, away and it looked like it, a heap of uh, rusted rust, metal right a heap of rusted metal yes yeah <laughs> wow well some but somebody spent a lot of money they, restoring that heap of rusted metal so they yeah. did yeah I, I i'm pretty sure it's going to somebody's museum or something I mean, probably you know this, yeah so so that so so that's that okay now um let's go let's start with our first pick from you and that is a 1931 rolls royce 33 33 rolls royce yep. uh 20 25 drop head coupe yeah, this is uh, in this uh, very light yellow that I hate, but I thought, what a classic-looking car. And it would be one of those um, springtime or wintertime um, models to drive around Palm Springs in. You're right. And the picture, look, it looks ivory in the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, it says this 1933 Rolls-Royce 20-25 head Coupe uh, features coachwork by Park Ward and is powered by a 3.7-liter straight-six paired with a four-speed manual gearbox. The car was imported to the United States in 1985 and was reportedly refurbished in the late 80s by Mark Specialist Bob Jefferson. The car is finished in beige, with, well, I guess that's beige, with dark brown upholstery, uh, le- uh, leather upholstery and features a brown soft top, a uh, fender mounted spare, a uh, single front fog lamp, and uh, service was in 2019, included installing a new battery, that's a while ago, replacing spark plugs, uh, overhauling the carburetor, replacing the headliner, and it's now offered on dealer consignment in Massachusetts with the bill of sale. Uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Current bidding is at 27.5. And it closes tomorrow, so coming soon. But they did spend a lot of money to make this car look nice for what it is. Yeah, I kind of wonder if it doesn't pick up some steam on the price tag, if it's going to have a reserve that's not met. Yeah, this the, obviously there is a reserve on this particular one. I don't know what it's going to be, but you know, it it these days it's the the number of in, in you know the number of investors and the number of collectors who are buying these cars yeah is fairly small 
So this we'll to me seems like a car that they would maybe ha have at a hotel or resort out here, like uh, the La Quinta Resort, you know, and and have it as a one of those cars they run to the airport and get VIPs in or something like that. It'd be kind of fun to make the haul across the 111 in this thing if you could do it <laughs> no i think certainly it, has I, enough room in the trunk to carry your bags yeah you can put bodies in the trunk so that's good <laughs> all right <laughs> this is todd bianco with john mcmullen this is radio 111 all revved up and we will be right back with more bringer trailer picks Revved Up continues with Todd Bianco, your Radio 111 auto aficionado. Here's Todd. Welcome back. I'm here with John McMullen. Hi, John. Hey, Todd. And we're talking our Bring a Trailer picks this hour. And your next pick is my the the the, the car I lusted after in my youth. I still lust, lust after it now. It is a 1965 Ford Mustang Convertible 289, and it is loaded. Yeah, and it's a beautiful car. It is done in a teal color with uh, white um, and accent. And you know, with with, the, yeah, with white top, top and, and white and turquoise interior, two-tone yeah. color. God, I love it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it says this 1965 Ford uh, Mustang convertible <coughs> is finished in teal over a two-tone teal and white interior and is powered by a rebuilt 289 V8 with a three-speed automatic transmission. The car is equipped with a white convertible top, fog lights, power steering, front disc brakes, factory air conditioning, a Kenwood cassette stereo, and more as described below. The car was, was refurbished during previous ownership and was acquired by the owner in Florida in, 19, in October of 1999. Service in preparation for the sale included flushing the fuel tank, changing the oil, cleaning and tuning the carburetor. This Mustang is now offered uh, by the seller on behalf of the owner with removed parts, uh, probably the radio, a repair manual, factory literature, and clean Florida title in the owner's name. And I'm shocked at the price that is currently on this thing when it is going to close in less than 24 hours right. from now. It's at 29150 right now. And it closes in a, in a in just a, a, a little bit less than 24 hours. Now, one of the things I like about this interior, and I, I was you know waxing on to you about it during a break, was that it has the embossed ponies running across the you know the the the, vi the upholstery, you know, the upholstery, and that yeah. was always called the pony interior. These are all you know optional. These were this this car was fully optioned at the time. It had the you know the V8. It had automatic. It had factory air. It had you know the 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 the, the wood steering wheel, the gauges, uh, convertible, electric top. I mean this this car had this car was really very very highly optioned. It even has the luggage rack, which I don't know whether it was oh it has the fog lamps too in front. Um, so you know it it in the center console it has all these things that were. You know, these were all expensive options at the time. So yeah. somebody really 
you know, option this car well. I used to drive by one that was red with a red and white interior. You know, red red with a white top and red and white interior. But right. this was the, and I would sit there and stare at it every time I would. <laughs> I, I didn't, when I said drive by it, I actually rode my bicycle by it. Yeah. You know, and looked at it going, oh, I want this car, I want this car, I want this yeah, car. Yeah, it's a beautiful car. Yeah, it's a beautiful car. It's a, it's this is this is definitely a lust worthy you know it's it's you know very much factory stock for the most part and in you know impeccable condition uh, it's got to sell for more i mean if not it's not going to it's not going to make the uh yeah, it says fifty three thousand miles shown, but total mileage is unknown. Oh yeah, I'm so. sure. I'm sure it's more than fifty three thousand. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably one hundred and fifty three. But right. but somebody's taken care of it and refurbished it, and, and you know done a very nice job of of caring for it in the interim. It's sitting in Florida right now, waiting to be delivered to your home. Yeah, if only. If only. If only. If only. I wish. Well, if I had an extra thirty grand, I'd be bidding on it right now. Yeah, but thirty grand isn't going to buy this car. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know. I so, wouldn't doubt that we're going to see the price at probably yeah. like forty-five, if not higher. Yeah, I, next probably. Week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the next car you picked was a modified two thousand eleven Toyota Tacoma TRD Turd uh, Sport <laughs> Toyota Racing Development uh, Sport double cab and somebody spent a lot of money doing aftermarket on this car it's a 2011 toyota tacoma pickup in black over gray double cab 4x4 truck that was acquired by the seller in 2011 and subsequently modified into an overland style truck that now has 67,000 miles on it Uh, modifications include twin front runner outfitters uh, roof rack a roof nest rooftop tent steel bumpers rocker rock sliders uh fender flares a snorkel of course when you're going through water um a three inch lift with bilstein uh, coilover front up front and icon vs2o shocks out back sliding bed storage bins led lights an arb onboard air compressor uh, you know a bed mounted arb f- uh, fridge freezer an alpine stereo sound system power comes from a four liter uh, v6 with a five-speed automatic transmission dual range transfer case limited slip differential truck is equipped with uh, air conditioning cruise control 16 inch wheels uh finished in black with recently updated uh, recently replaced tires uh clean carfax report it's in sandpoint sandpoint idaho but this is your this is this is your uh, uh doomsday car yep yep and i just thought i mean where it's going right now again a car that has a day left to go and its current bid is only eighteen thousand dollars there's no way yeah and they spent way more than that in the modifications. I know. Yeah. So, it, and it, when you consider what trucks are worth today, brand new. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, this would be a hell of a steal. And Toyotas have great reputations. Yeah, I mean, this this car. I mean, I would like to have it too. It's another car I'd like to have. You know, my man, that that's my you know my my bug out car when the you know when. when I'll the, tell you what, I would not want to be the alligator in Florida that ate Mister Laundry in the no. swamp down there uh, <laughs> in the last few weeks. Is that uh, how he died? If you were <laughs> if you were up against this thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, more bring a trailer picks uh, later. There, I'm Todd. Bianco, I'm with John McMullen. This is I, <laughs> Radio 111, all revved up. We'll be right back.
Radio 111 is talking all things automotive on All Revved Up with Todd Bianco. Welcome back. Uh, John McMillan and I are here and we're talking Bring a Trailer this hour. And we've got a couple more picks for John. Let's see. Uh, your next pick is a 1971 Di Tommaso Pantera. Looks like a fun car to buggy around in. It's black, and somebody did a lot of nice things to this car. It looks really slick. This 1971 D. Tommaso Pantera is finished in black over gray cloth and is powered by a 351 cubic inch V8. It's from Ford. Paired with a five-speed manual transaxle, equipment includes pop-up lights, uh, rear wing, a 15-inch Campanello wheels, power windows, while modifications consist of a Borla exhaust system, adjustable coilover shocks, um, Fluidyne radiator, uh, Stewart Stage 1 water pump, and a Lacara steering wheel. I liked all the... uh all of the console stuff too, all the gauges and switches and all yes. that. I thought it looked pretty cool. It's very slick, and they've done a very nice job of of of, uh, of making this car look like it's very well cared for over the years. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really nice looking. It's uh, <clears throat> let's see, uh, it is in Minneapolis. Uh, current bid is fifty two thousand dollars, and. Let's see. And believe it or not, uh, black cars matter there. It closes in two days. So oh. I'll, I'll, we'll see. This this should go higher as well. Uh, it, I had seen, um, uh, there's a, and I have, I'll have it for next week, but it's a, it's a Toyota, uh, was it S2000, something, 2000. I forgot what it is. But it, the opening bid was 250000 Oh. <laughs> wow. They only made like three hundred of them, so yeah. I mean, you know. But but uh, you know, there's there's some of these cars, but uh, th- this is uh, this is a beauty. Uh, it will it's got to close for more because it will never sell at fifty two thousand. Yep. And then the last car you picked was a nineteen sixty seven Pontiac Firebird Coupe uh, spr- Sprint with a four speed transmission. Uh, basically, it's a very stock uh, uh, basic car. It's a nineteen sixty seven which is the first year for Pontiac Firebird Sprint, uh, is uh, finished in white over blue vinyl interior. It's powered by an overhead cam 200 cubic inch in line six, paired with a four-speed manual transmission. Uh, features include 14-inch rally to uh, rally two wheels, four-wheel drum brakes, not even a disc in front, geez. Power steering, uh, let's see, a hood-mounted tachometer, a Hurst shifter with cue ball knob, air conditioning, yay, a Delco push-button AM radio, um, Delta Mark 10 uh, CD electronic electronic ignition. The car is said to have spent time in California, Oregon, and Maryland before uh, being acquired by the selling dealer in 2021 and relocating to Massachusetts. Uh, this Firebird Sprint is offered... Uh, in Massachusetts with the owner's manual, warranty booklets, service records, and a, and a Maryland title. I'm going to contact my friend Rachel Maddow and ask her to run out there this weekend and get this thing for me. I think it's pretty terrific, and, and it has air conditioning, which I thought was, you know, considering everything else is bone stock on this car, yeah. for it to have factory air, I was just surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So good for even good. as even in its plainness though, Todd. It's it's a cool car. I love the blue interior. Yes, it's it's very well kept. Not a fan of the exterior being white, but um, considering the in, interior color, I, I think, and it's the fact that it looks almost brand new. The, the yeah, seating, the interior upholstery. looks like it's flawless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, does, how many miles does it say it had? It, uh, uh, it says 44,000 miles, but total mileage, I know. And it's got to yeah. be more than 4,000, obviously. But yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice, it's a sharp car. Uh, that's when Pontiacs were very desirable cars. All right, uh, let's see. Now we get to some of my picks. You have some cool stuff this week. <clears throat> the first one I have here is a 1966 Fiat 2300 S Coupe, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Why can't Fiat make cars like this now? Right? <laughs> I mean, it's just stunning uh, it's a i was nine. surprised to see the interior too after i saw the exterior because it's it's kind of a plain like um uh you know like a uh pistol metal uh grayish color yeah. on the outside and then you get inside and it's a nice beautiful caramelly um leather colored leather yeah, yeah it's beautiful yeah it's uh, the coachwork is beautiful in this car yeah let's see what it says it says uh this 1966 fiat 2300 coupe is finished in gray over tan upholstery well it's but more than tan it's more like a saddle or whatever color uh powered by 2.3 liter inline six paired with a four-speed manual transmission equipment includes dual carburetors uh ventilated 15 inch wheels uh with fiat hubcaps servo assisted disc brakes uh wood rim steering wheel power windows see power windows and a block punk stair uh, radio uh the uh, seller acquired the car in 2019 and subsequently uh service said to have included an oil change uh, it's a gia it's a gia styled fiat it's offered in canada with manufacturer's literature toolkit british columbia registration in the seller's name uh it's only at 22,000 right now i'm sure it's going to go for a little bit more than that yeah, I would guess. Yeah, and it closes in, in about one, a day. In about a day. 23 hours from now. Yeah. Uh, the next one I picked is a another Pontiac. Uh, it's, I love this one, too. Yeah, this is a 1971 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am 455. And this is one of those, it's just loaded with, with goodies on it. Um, uh, but it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's just before the Malaise era. It's back when... Muscle cars were muscle cars. This 1971 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am was delivered new to Enerson Motors in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada in September of 1970. Uh, the car is finished in cameo white over blue and powdered and powered by a 450 cubic inch V8 paired with a turbo hydromatic 400 three-speed automatic transmission. Equipment includes 15 inch rally two wheels, uh, power front disc brakes, power steering, uh, Holly Sniper e electronic fuel injection system, uh, electronic ignition, uh, an aluminum radiator, front and rear spoilers, a hood shaker, air conditioning, power windows, and a push button AM FM radio. A refurbishment is said to have completed during the previous ownership, and the seller acquired the car in 2020. Subsequent work has cons consisted of air conditioning service and replacement of the battery alternator exhaust system oil sending unit uh rear leaf springs transmission shields power steering hoses oil pan gasket uh, blah 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 they, so they did a lot of new stuff it's got uh, the third most expensive item on the uh price on this thing i'm looking at the ticket for it oh uh, yeah the window sticker was the stereo at 139.02 and look how much the air conditioning was 407 dollars yeah, yeah. that was the most expensive option on the car yeah yeah and in Canada, I was surprised because usually, you know, because Canada's cold enough, they don't usually order it, but this was ordered with air conditioning. So props to them for that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then my next one is another Fiat. 
It is a 1970 Fiat Dino Spider 2400. So it's kind of Ferrari-ish. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's it's related to a Ferrari, but it's not a Ferrari. And it says this 1970 Dino Spider 2400 is one of approximately 424 examples built between 1969 and 1972, and is said to have been imported to the United States in the 70s. Uh, the car was reportedly refurbished under previous ownership, including a repaint and installation of replacement to, of a replacement 2.4 liter V6. Following its acquisition by the seller in 2005, the car was repainted again in its current blue finish over black upholstery. Power sent to the rear wheels via a dog leg five-speed manual transmission and a limited slip differential. Additional equipment includes replacement soft top, uh, matching boot cover, removable fiberglass hardtop, uh, hard, yeah, hardtop, which is beautiful if you see it with a hardtop yeah. on it. Yeah, yes. it's gorgeous. Um, wood rims, 14-inch uh, Chromodora uh, steer wheels, uh, dual exhaust, wood rim steering wheel, and a retro sound stereo. A recent maintenance said to have included installation of an electric fuel pump, replacement of the heater core and distributor. It's offered with the uh, owner's manual, service records, and a partial toolkit, and a Colorado title in the seller's name. Uh, it is at $71,000, and it ends in two days. This would have been the personal sports car of... Gotham City millionaire Bruce Wayne. You think so? I do. You don't think he would have had a Ferrari? Uh, no, I think he would have had this. I like. I think the curves give it a nice uh, kind of Batmobile-esque kind of thing. And I mean, it's just it's a it's a sweet ride. It is a sweet and ride. And I tell you, after looking at what Fiat sells today, it's like somebody needs to advise them to uh, get back to their history. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then my last one is, I mean, my se- the next one is a 1966 Corvair uh, uh, Coupe. And uh, this is the refreshed version of the, of the Coupe. This is Generation 2 of Corvair. And I picked it because it was very unusual. This is this 1966 Corvair Coupe was acquired by the selling dealer in 2015 as a non-functioning project. Uh, it, the 140 cubic inch flat six was subsequently rebuilt and is paired with a two-speed power glide automatic transaxle. Very rare to see in a, in a Corvair. The car is finished in ermine white over a red vinyl interior and equipment includes 13-inch wheels, chrome bumpers, um, Pertronics ignition system, a Delco radio, and factory air conditioning. Wow. I've never seen factory air conditioning in a Corvair. I knew it was available, but I've almost never seen it. Yeah. Yeah, so I picked it because of it being such such an unusual, uh, you know, power glide and 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 uh, and the uh, air conditioning. It was just I couldn't believe it was actually existed. So it's not you know it's, it closes in two days and the current bid is at five thousand five hundred and fifty five dollars. But it's no reserve, so it will sell. But I, I love the look of this. I think the lines of it are beautiful. I think it's very unusual to see Power Glide as well as the air conditioning. And so I, I had to give it a heads up, you know, just because of those things. It's not going to sell for a lot, but I, I still think it's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. And then my last pick was a 19, I mean, a 2000 Ford Mustang Cobra R with 365 miles on it. Wow. Yeah. Now, I didn't know that these things existed. I mean, you know, it's a 2000 Mustang Cobra Code 
R is number 224 of 300 examples produced. It was acquired by its current owner from the original selling dealership in 2004. Uh, the car is finished in performance red over dark charcoal cloth. It's powered by a 5.4 liter dual overcam V8 paired with a six-speed manual transmission, limited slip differential. Factory include features include factory aero kit, a rear wing, 18-inch uh, aluminum wheels, Bilstein shocks, uh, Brembo brakes, uh, Bora, a Borla side exhaust, side exit exhaust. Cobra R has 365 miles and is offered by the seller on behalf of its owner with an SVT uh, special vehicle team uh, certificate of authenticity, binder of historical documents, a window sticker, and a manufacturer's literature, clean Carfax report. I didn't know that these existed. I didn't really pay attention to it, I guess. Those are some fancy seats inside, too. Yeah, there were Caro seats. I mean, this is, like I said, I didn't know these things existed. Yeah. Uh, the bidding's already at $80,000. Yeah, and it's got four days to go. It's got four days to go, and I think it's going to go higher than that because they're just, a, well, it's only 300 were produced. Yeah. So I think this is going to go higher. There's just, a, you know, there's rarity plus almost no miles. It's going to do well. Um, wow, you're listening to Radio 111. This is Todd Bianco with John McMullen on uh, All Revved Up. We will be right back with some fun window stickers. From the Radio 111 showroom, Todd Bianco is talking automotive industry news and insight. All Revved Up continues. Here's Todd. Welcome back. I'm here with John McMullen. Hi, John. And, hey, Todd. And we've been uh, we've been doing for the last few uh, few weeks. We've been doing looking at historical window stickers from cars to see you know what was popular then and how much things cost and it's funny to look on some of the items that are on those now it know? is yeah. well, let, let's let's go we, we looked at it this during the break but 1987 toyota celica st coupe with five speed five speed transmission now the car was uh total sticker was eleven thousand eight hundred and sixty seven dollars and the most expensive thing was the air conditioner for seven hundred and ninety-five dollars. The the, tr- the wheel rim, the, the chrome trim rings for the wheels were fifty-nine. Uh, floor mats were sixty, and the all-weather tires were an extra hundred and thirty, which was kind of expensive, but okay. Uh, and it, so it came to a total of eleven thousand eight hundred and sixty-four sixty-seven dollars. But, but. The dealer added rust proofing of 249. Right. And then he added the auto butler at 149. Uh, Todd and I had to go looking for yes. this during the break to see exactly <laughs> what was that because, you know, do, is this, uh, does this butler fit in a pocket in the glove box or, or where? Back seat, does back it, seat, who does knows? Does it stay at your house and open the door for you to get in the car? Yes. <laughs> it turns out that it is a. Uh, protective coating that goes on the paint. 
Right, and it gives you some sort of guarantee or some yeah, sort of... Yeah, it extends the warranty on the paint job. Yeah, it, it sounds like a lot of BS to me. Right. <laughs> I mean... How do you prove it? $149, I mean, really? That's one of those things, you know, you go into the dealership and say, okay, uh, I this happened and it wasn't supposed to, and or they're I had like, a, I had a scratch, get out of here. I had a scratch, and now you, you know, right. should take it out, right? Not going to do it, right? Right. Yeah, so... I, Rock hits the car and, you know, scratches it, and you're like out of luck and then this supplementary ticket that they put on it which by the way is a pre-printed form has the dealer margin as part of one of the one of the line items and it's for 475 dollars that they added did you buy that no you don't buy that no for this is like any and from those years this is like any other car with you know that has a you know there's a invoice price and there's a a retail price and there's a dealer markup already in the in the you know retail price so they added an extra four hundred and seventy five dollars to get to a to a total which was you know not insignificant when you're talking about an eleven thousand dollar car. Right. You know, for a total of twelve thousand seven hundred and forty dollars. So they boosted the price by almost a thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> good work if you can get it. Good exactly. Good work if you can get it. Now I found this one for a nineteen sixty six Mustang. Hmm. This was a, a Mustang Fastback. So uh, they had, and it was uh, the, uh, it had a, a base, v, it got the V8 engine. And that was, So it started at $2,607. Wow. And this is when they actually that had. That was the engine? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no, no, that, that was the car. The car. The car was $2,607.07. Oh. And, and then the engine was an extra $105.63. Okay. Um, no, th- then there was the high performance version of the engine because you know you had to buy the V8. Then you bought the high performance version of the engine. Oh, what did that? Which cost? was a K code, which was three hundred and twenty-seven dollars and ninety-two cents. That was oh. expensive. Four-speed transmission was an extra. F- uh, no, uh, emission closed emission system was five dollars and nineteen cents. The four-speed transmission was th- instead of three-speed. I guess was one hundred and eighty-four dollars and two cents. Limited slip differential was. $41.60. The full-length console was $50.41. Front disc brakes were $56.77. The AM radio was $57.51. And tinted glass was $30.25. Transportation of $30.135.20 for a total of $3,601.57. Thirty-six oh one. Mm-hmm. What would that be in today's dollars? I, I don't wonder. know. I don't know, but it's it still seems like it's cheap, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, for, for what it's worth, it seems like it's cheap. And it was built in San Jose. It was built in California, no less. And it was sold to Bishop Hansel Ford in Santa Rosa, California. So this was a California car. And that was 1966? 1966, yeah. Okay, I, I'm looking it up, okay. and it looks like um, that would be about $30,500 today. Still seems like a pretty good deal, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, overall, seems like yeah. a pretty good deal. Sure, if you look at the price that they charge today for a brand new Mustang. Well, I, I think I talked about it before, but the average price of a car now is almost $40,000. Yeah. It's been pushed way up. Yep, 
40,000, or I'm sorry, $30,478.89 would be its worth today. Yeah, that's, that's you know, that's it's going to sell for more than that in auction. Yeah. <laughs> Easily. All right. All right. Well, you know, I've had a lot of fun this hour, as always, John. Likewise. Uh, I always love Bring a Trailer, and they always have some great stuff to look at. Uh, can't wait for next week to see how the auction's closed. Uh, you're listening to All Revved Up. This is Radio 111, radio111.com. Todd Bianco with John McClellan, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.